0: Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Well, today we're speaking with Katie Fu of Twinkle Kids Ireland. You're the owner and the founder of this program that works with very young children. And so I just want to say thank you, Katie, for being here and talking with us yeah.
1: Thank um, you so much. Thank, it's really an honour to be here. I'm really pleased that we got the chance to connect and to chat. I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I feel the same way. So tell me a little bit about what part of Ireland are you from and what led you to working with the population you do?
1: So right now I'm living in it's an area or townland called West Wicklow. It's in the mountains. There's a lot of natural beauty around us, very lush, very green lots of open air rivers. So it's a really beautiful part of Ireland and nice. lots of rich kind of culture as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of the old folklore would have been based here, lots of stone circles, things like this. Right. So it's an area really steeped in folklore, history, and it's just really beautiful to be in as well. But I grew up in in the countryside. The first part of my life until I was six, I'd actually lived in a town and then we moved out to the countryside when I was about six or seven and grew up building dens and streams and catching frogs and touching electric fences to see how electric they were. This kind of risky and it was just us, we raised each other Mm -hmm. as um, neighborhood kids. Our parents weren't involved too much at all. And actually I never thought that I would ever work with children. As I was growing up, it really was not something that ever appealed to me, and I ever thought that I could do. Yeah. I was much more into animals. I was very, I had a, I was very into horses as well. I was a really active horse rider, did it every single day, through all throughout since I was very young. But, mm-hmm. but I always thought that I would end up working with animals, and then it was only after I thought maybe I could teach English. even to adults. I That's something I could do. And I was 20 years old. And so I did it. I did my English teaching course, got qualified. And then I jumped ship when I was 21 and moved to China. And it was there actually through teaching English that I found myself in children in a way. I just was able to connect with them. I could understand them. They were understanding me on a level that I never even knew. existed anymore and it was this I could bring out my playful side and I could just reconnect with myself in so many ways by connecting with them as well and it just really became a passion of mine and so I went back to university and I retrained in uh, early childhood studies.
0: Oh wow yeah so that's really amazing you know how I, I think it's probably a little bit common in a way where people who have never really thought about working with kids or working with in teaching can sometimes suddenly feel that joy that it yeah. that happens when you, see, when you see the impact that your work has on the success that your students have. And it definitely got me when I started teaching kids as well. It was just magical. It was like, wow, look at this kid. Yeah. It's like, suddenly standing a little taller their eyes are a little brighter they're really excited about what they just learned and it can really hook you so i, I totally it really
1: do. does and it's when you can see them through this lens of mm-hmm. we're a team here i'm here mm-hmm. to help you let's do this we can do yeah. this i can help you i will let i'll let me help you let me help guide you through this stage of your life it really is as you say you get hooked on it it's such a wonderful feeling and to watch those children grow from babies through toddlers through to, to, through teenagers it's really, really wonderful and they just maintain when i was in school i wasn't the best student i didn't connect very well with my teachers i was a little bit of a rebel and i never felt like anybody got me i was i always felt really misunderstood and that i was just written off as a the problem child and i always wanted one teacher that could that would see me and i did have what, right. that one teacher and we always say we never forget that one teacher right And I wanted to be that for children. Right. And I knew that I was never going to work in primary or secondary or or you guys would say high school or middle school. I knew that wasn't the direction that I wanted to go. So even just in these precious, sacred early years times, even though they probably never will remember me, I wanted to be that person for for them or to be one of those people for them.
0: Yeah, that's true, because that. Even when people are, children are pre-verbal, like pre, like there's still this, this feeling that they have of, are they safe? And is yeah. there a sense of wonder? And so many times we think, oh, they won't remember this anyway. So what difference does it make? But it really does make a big difference, the type of environment. I know when my son Javier was born, we were just so conscious of sounds and somebody was doing construction and it made a loud sound or something. We were just like, we got to get out of here. This is not what our kid needs to hear. And then having a variety of these different sensory experiences of the wind and really good smells and all that. So it's exciting to me. I totally know exactly what you mean.
1: Yeah. And for many of these children, I'm their first Yeah. outside family adult that they're interacting with weekly. Most of them aren't even in in preschool yet or in daycare. A lot of the parents that I work with are stay-at-home parents or they'll have a full-time childminder. But outside of their nuclear family, I'm often their first external adult. And I really want that experience to be a positive one for them and to show them that it's like, it is safe. You're secure. You can be yourself here. You can express yourself. I'm here for you. And so I suppose you had to have just to provide this environment for them is really important to me.
0: So what age would you say that most of the time you're working with? Is it like two years old or three or?
1: Yeah, uh, for the purposes of the podcast, I think I'll stick to my outdoor education because I do run other programs. I run a baby specific class as well indoors where we do a lot of gentle, not, I call it under stimulating because I think that the world is stimulating enough as it is. So we really like to take it back and take it slow and we, the parents chat and connect. And so I have that program. And then I also have a music and movement program too that starts from babies, but for the purposes of, because it's the Forest Educator podcast, I'll talk about the, the outdoor work that I do. The majority of it is from about eight, nine months old, right up until four years old until I start school now i do run weekend events as well and i can get kids right up to 9 years old that attend that right and at the beginning of this year i also ran a baby specific group which was from newborn to to pre-walking
0: wow that's awesome yeah, yeah so and you're, you're getting a lot of, yeah you're getting a wide range of different people and and children and lots of different kinds of programs so You must be pretty good at switching hats in terms of the population and the activities. But yeah.
1: Yeah, I think like you, though, we get to know our kids and it's a lot of trial and error as well. Will this work? Maybe this won't work. For me, I just like to keep it simple Mm -hmm. and as basic as possible, because even if it doesn't work, I didn't overstress. I think children They need simplicity and they need clarity and Mm -hmm. they need to not have instructions to follow just to engage in it because otherwise they're spending too much time thinking about how am I supposed to engage with this? When if it's there and it's simple and they can just dive right in, then that's the magic. That's all they need.
0: Yeah, that's true. When we run our wilderness programs for children, the older ages, they were usually learning like Wilderness skills that were a little bit complicated. And sometimes they'd involve building a shelter or making a fire or whatever it was. But it, it involves some intellectual learning. And that, you know, like you said, it was like instructions and also mm-hmm. activities and everything. And when we started running programs in a school that was an after school program, we realized really quickly that we couldn't, we just couldn't intellectually teach those kids they've been at school all day long and so we just made the I think the amount of curriculum that we taught was like I I would tell my staff you have three minutes to tell them whatever it is we have to do yeah and then we have to get doing it and it has to be something they can just dive right in and as soon as we did that every all of our programs were just they loved it uh Mm -hmm. if they didn't have to think too much and could just do it and and get good results, yeah. they were they really seem to appreciate that. So I totally Yeah, them and I
1: I am a big, big advocate as well for the older kids too, too. They're at that stage where they can do more logical thinking and collaboration and sure. working things out and solving problems. But as you said, at the end of the school day, they're tired and yeah. they just being outdoors is often enough for them. Yeah. And I'm also a huge advocate for peer learning, too. If we explain it and they're still not getting it. They, they can learn from their peers. They can observe or that's they can right. talk to each other and communicate with each other. And that's the same goes for the older children, but it actually goes as well for the really little kids too. They're constantly watching. Yeah. That's why I have a mixed age group too, because I don't really to put just the two-year-olds in a group. I like to right. have the twos, threes, fours, and even five, six-year-olds because they all can learn something from each other.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I know that, there is something really magical about being able to say hey we're going to be doing this activity and if you have a question you can ask me but you can also just learn by looking and seeing who out there is having is doing really well and who's struggling and how can we learn and also can we help others and it was just it's awesome to see older children come over and go oh here show here's try this rock or try this yeah. this is what we're doing and and then they feel really good and yeah. take initiative so you're like teaching not only the activity or giving them access to that activity but you're also giving them access to learn how wonderful it feels to yeah. help each other so. exactly
1: what's filling up each other's buckets and then the little kid feels fantastic because wow this big kid he's, got he invented. had time to help me wow. that feels amazing and then the big kid is look how happy i just made that little kid feel <laughs> it's different when it comes from us Even though, no matter how friendly and childlike we are as adults, we're not children and they connect with each other in ways that we have forgotten. Yeah. Just through evolution and through its nature, like we have, we can't fully connect on their level, but we try. And that's why I like to call, I'm a facilitator. I will provide these opportunities for you when you come into my program. But I don't get involved with them when they're there. I will chat with them or I'll be like, oh, what potions have you made today? Can I have a try? But I will never direct them in what they're doing ever. Or if I'm trying one of their potions, I'll say, is this going to be a good potion or is it going to be a scary potion? Like feeding that imagination in them. Yeah. But that's the majority of what I do. And then I clean up everything afterwards.
0: Exactly. (laughs) That's where the work comes in.
1: Exactly. Yes.
0: No, that's great. And so what kind of things, have you heard any feedback from parents about the results of some of these experiences that you have? Are they? What are they saying that they see in their children? I know you see things, like I know I saw things with my group, but oftentimes I ran a camp, so the kids would all get in their cars and leave. Yeah. I, I might not see them for a year. And, yeah. And I just, I don't know, I, I hope it was good. I don't know. Yeah. But, but I'm just curious if you're seeing parents every week or whatever, do they ever m- mention things that they're noticing or? Uh...
1: Absolutely. That's why I try to only have a six week block of classes to book. And there's so I... many reasons for that. But one of the main reason is because your child will get the most benefit from it. There's so many children that come in on the first week. They're nervous. They just want to stand back or stand behind mommy and just watch and they might be shivery cold uh, or they might not want to engage too much. And probably if I just did a week by week drop-in basis, 90% of the parents wouldn't come back. They would be like, my kid didn't enjoy it. They didn't like it. But because I have the six week block, they're encouraged to come back the week after and then the week after. And they tell me that they have never seen their child as confident as uh, independent, resilient, wanting to do things for themselves, wanting to be outside, also mimicking what we do, but at home as well. So they're they're modeling and they are taking it back. And the kids that are usually hiding behind mommy's leg in the first week are the ones running in, already covered in mud from jumping in the puddles on the way down to our site.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Um,
1: it's even just their their confidence just beams out of them. It's like the sunshine. They are just shining out and they, they interact with me and they say that they're more confident with people on the street too. If people say hello, they're now saying hello back. Or because we do some songs as well, they're singing the songs at home. Their speech has come on so much. Their communication has just come on so much. Um, there's just, there's so many benefits, but definitely parents feel a change a shift but that's why i really i like the parents to be there i think the camps are fantastic i wish that we did more of that we don't have any overnight camps really in ireland of what i know i know that we have scouts and beavers but i don't know enough about them to know it's not like it is in the u.s but i like to put a big focus on parents connection especially at this point in the children's lives and for the parents to also gain the benefits of being outside for the morning. You'll feel refreshed, you'll feel less stressed and you'll feel calm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's great that you're seeing that and to me that always is so interesting is to see what the outcomes are, you know what what's so interesting about the forest school model or the mo- model that you're using which are similar where like you said mm-hmm. it's student directed learning is that it's so simple. There's really no dogma. You're not like trying to get them to do some other thing, but just letting this whole thing happen naturally. And then we're getting these incredible outcomes. And to me, that's just a really important thing to just recognize that and to have that impact and just Basically just say, hey, we're going to give our children a good start in life. We're going to give them good experiences that will be the building blocks. Like I oftentimes would think to myself, oh yeah, what was it like for me when I, my first or second or third grade teachers teaching me how to knit and sew and yeah, uh, Greek myths or whatever, painting and just thinking that's the land, I call it the land of the unsung hero, where- You're doing work that you'll never really be recognized for because it's happening so early and yet it's so important. And I wish I could go back and say to my third grade teacher, hey, thank you so much for being patient with me. I know I was crazy or whatever, but that I appreciate that because it's just an amazing role to play.
1: It really is. And these are fundamental skills that we've been doing for centuries um, and that are getting lost. And everything has just become so complicated and so noisy and meeting milestones and we need to do this. And if I do this, then my child will turn out like this. Or if I don't do this, then this is going to happen. And there's just a lot of noise. And it's really about stripping everything back Mm -hmm. and just showing up. And like you said, accepting them for who you are and whether you want to engage or not, or if you want to hang on to your little brother for this session, please do.
0: Go ahead, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And just having this sort of community feeling again, because I feel like we're missing it now. Everybody is it for themselves, or I'm too scared to say this because what will they think of me? Or it's just a perpetual low-level anxiety (laughs) pandemic almost. Right. So it's really just about getting just bringing it back to sim- simplicity cooking sewing weaving yeah. things that are not just skills that we can use for our entire lives but they're also therapeutic in in themselves
0: right. there's a whole self-soothing yeah ability one of the things I loved about learning like wilderness skills and was that I, some people like to learn like wilderness survival skills because they're like I want to survive. If this goes wrong, and if this happens, then I will make it. And it's fear-based and they have this whole imagination. And I just remember sitting and going like, I like sitting and carving with a bunch of people and having a really fun conversation and just carving something fun and watching what other people do and just having a really good time and learning. And I, to me, that was what was so magical about it was that I felt better. I felt less anxious. And it was, there was just a real joy there, but it was a real simple joy. Yeah. Uh, and it's, so I it's remember connecting that.
1: connecting with others. It's, yeah. it's that we're just connecting here. We're sharing stories. We're all doing the same thing and nobody's judging anybody. Nobody's saying, right. oh, your whittle stick looks stupid. Like it's, <laughs> exactly. it's not like that. We're all yeah. here and we're all showing up in our own way. And I feel like we are just so rapidly losing this and yeah. I'm trying to cling on to it with
0: yes. any part. Yeah, that's true. And that's, I remember doing, a. we were do, uh, making baskets, I think out of pine roots, we got these roots from a, a pine trees, and we were weaving them. And I don't know how much weaving you've done of baskets, but uh, wilderness <laughs> survival baskets. It was everybody that was doing it was very new. And mm-hmm. so... Your first basket, if you never made one, usually doesn't look good at all. It looks I've like I have
1: never made a basket.
0: <laughs> it looks like a, a spider tried to make a weave a web while they were on like acid or something. So it just it's just <laughs> what is going on? And and as you're doing it, it's terrible. And you're just trying your best. And so many times we'd look over at each other and I'd see someone else being like disgusted about their basket and yeah. just feeling bad. And we would just start laughing about it. And it was just like this real joy of you got to just make your basket the first time. And then you move on to your second basket, which gets a lot better. And all of a sudden basket, you're doing great. But man, there's just something fun about like the joy of learning and failing and being with people, like you said, that you feel safe with that are going to just enjoy the process. But Uh, Ricardo,
1: that's it though, isn't it? It's, it's all about the process. Yeah. And we talk about it with the children, but it's for us too. The joy is in the process, the, the, yeah. the joy is in the journey. We're, we're so focused on the results and just getting to the results, but it's just really about enjoying the process um, as much as we can. Sometimes it's not comfortable, right? And same right. for the children, sometimes it's not comfortable, but when we can overcome that and um, get out the other side of it, it's beautiful. Like yeah. it is incredible and that's what builds resilience and that's what builds confidence and whether you're weaving a basket or whether you're trying to lift like I have really like iron almost saucepans and I fill them with water and I have two-year-olds trying to lift them and they they're the water is going everywhere they're getting frustrated but then they'll see that there's a smaller one next to it And they will try to lift that and they will succeed. And then, but they will remember, I know that there is a bigger one there that I will. And toddlers are incredible because they will come back the week after. And I made the mistake a few times where they've said, where's the bigger one? Where's the bigger one? But now (laughs) I make sure that there is always the bigger one there so that when they're ready, they can give it another try. And then- Oh my gosh, when their face lights up, you swear Santa Claus just walked into the room when they've lifted up right. that iron saucepan that's with right. the water. And oh, they don't even God. they don't even know what they wanted for. They just want to lift it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's like just I'm doing this. What am I doing? Yeah. I'm doing this right now. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, and the amazing. strength
1: that they're building, as well the physical strength that they are building doing yeah. these tasks. And the toddlers especially they're at this stage where They've just learned how to walk. They've just learned how to crawl. And yes, they can do it now, but it's so new to them. So when they come to our our space, our area, the ground is like rough terrain. Parts of the grass are very long as well. We've got bark chip. We've got mud. We've got a swampy area. There are so many different terrains that they need to navigate and that they need to use their thinking skills to how am I going to get around this? Am I going to scoot on my butt? Some of them are like, it's scooting is easier. But like when you watch them, like the (laughs) amount of thinking that they are doing to get through this, it's incredible and they come out of it exhausted they are yeah. so tired at the end of it and that's actually probably one of, the, one of the best benefits that the parents have told me afterwards they sleep for hours when they're
0: okay. done yeah no that's awesome well yeah. yeah it's so interesting watching children i we used to have school groups come here we still do and it was funny how we have a dirt driveway and we'd see kids jump come down get off of the bus and they'd take three steps and the ground is flat, but there'd be a little stone sticking up. Mm-hmm. And i watch like every other child would get off the bus, take two steps, and then trip on that little <laughs> tiny stone because they just are used to being in, on a sidewalk where it's yeah. flat. And we would just laugh. And I, I sometimes the bus would pull up and I would just go, all right, guys, watch this. And they would come out and, and trip or just not fall down, but just stumble a little yeah, bit, and catch themselves. And then they had to go, oh, wait, the ground isn't quite perfect. So I have to yeah. adjust. And it's such a unique experience to, you have to pay attention to your environment and then you have to figure out how do you get around it. And it, exactly. is, it is, it's a great feeling just yeah. to be able to do that and that's yeah and I think especially
1: yeah and in a world where a lot of our kids are so reliant on screens I just think putting them outside for a while is, is the, of course it's better than a screen there's no denying that but they get so much more yeah. the, the, the what's around you is constantly changing and when we can just tune in as grown-ups and as adults and recognize it and then talk to them about it. Or did you notice, look at these migrating birds overhead. I wonder where they're going. You can lead so many conversations from that and research. And then you could even use the screens to help you research, but just using them for a purpose instead of being indoors and mindfully swipe or mindlessly swiping. There's just, if you can do it, it really is just magical to witness.
0: Yeah, it's really what's interesting about this is that there are people who do the work you do that I, that I've done, where we're seeing these children, we're seeing them go through this and getting these benefits, and then there are people who are teachers in a school or preschool where they're not getting that, those types of experiences, and it's really, uh, it's to me it sometimes can be really painful to see students who have difficulty regulating their emotions or they don't have the physical strength to, like you said, lift a heavy pot. Or we just had a workshop here a few weeks ago where children, 12 year old, whatever, were carving with a knife and I could see them carving and they just wanted to carve so much. Mm. They would like stop and they would like shake their hands because their hands were tired and they didn't have the muscles in their hands, their fingers to hold the knife um, because they were were just exhausted and weren't used to it and yeah it's really it's difficult when you see the contrast if you never saw the contrast you probably wouldn't think anything of it but when you actually see it side by side yeah. someone who you know the same age who has that outdoor experience and those that don't uh, to me that's really shocking yeah
1: and i wonder as well if the concept of instant gratification comes into it too right. they're trying to make something out of the wood and it's just not happening and it's not happening the first time or as quickly as they wanted to. And the frustration builds because we live in a society now where we are get so used to instant gratification. We order something and it's there a few hours yeah. later and we're like, yay, this is great. Or you wanna play a game and you can just access it straight away. So I wonder, is that leading to the frustration as well that the children are finding it difficult to work hard and focus and That's
0: keep right. trying,
1: even when it's not working, and to stick with it or yeah it's I think it's a really interesting topic that I'm sure a lot of research is being done about at the minute as well
0: yeah that's true and I think that's that's always been something that I really have liked about teaching nature and wilderness skills to children because making a fire where you're using fire by friction and you're having to carve everything like that is that can take a month to to get mm-hmm. a fire. it takes a while just to learn how to carve and then you put it together and then you have to recarve it again and you have to get some string and do all the parts. And you just have to do it over and over again and you have to practice. And when you, but when you actually get that fire, you're like, oh, wow, I did something. And no one can take anything that no one will ever take that away from you when you actually put it all together process, the learning, the problem solving, all of those things. And when you have children that like never get the opportunity to try, fail, try, fail, trying, fail, and then eventually start getting better. And you go, okay, I think I see what's going on, man. It's you're setting someone up to help them figure it out in life. Cause we both know as adults, like we're going to have delayed gratification. We're going to have to solve problems every day. And if you don't ever have that, when you're a child, you're not going to get it. Like it's going to be really, it can be, I could see why a lot of adults have depression and anxiety and frustration and other issues. A lot of issues.
1: (laughs) Yes, definitely. And yeah, and as well, when you put in so much work into Mm -hmm. say, starting a fire, you're not going to forget it. No. You're going to remember it. It's like learning how to swim or ride a bike. You put in so much work and then you finally get it. You never forget it.
0: Yes, that's right. And as a young person that you were working with horses, like my parents, my grandparents had race horses, thoroughbred horses. And so I was around horses a lot as a child. And man, you got to really learn, you have to develop a relationship with these animals and be able to, like, I remember being a teenager and say, my my grandfather would say, here, hold this horse. Okay, put him in the horse trailer. And I would just feel like this horse is going to kill me in any minute because they're crazy. Yeah. And I yeah. just, and my uncle or what my grandfather would just say, if you believe that you're in charge and you're going to be very careful and do that, you know, what, if you're, if you feel good, they'll feel good. If you feel safe, yeah. if you feel calm. And when I did that, I just saw night and day what, how the animals responded to me. And yeah. And then I, like, I didn't even really think about it until I was just thinking right now about you working with horses. That was always true for me as an educator, was that if I came into a classroom or a program and I was calm, they would respond. They would respond differently most of the time. So there was something really, you get a lot from being able to find that place inside of yourself that where the animals can actually, you can have that connection.
1: Yeah, it's in our nature. It's in our blood to be outdoors and to be with animals and to be with nature. Like it's what we're programmed to do. When I was nine, 10 years old, I would get picked up from my house at 6 a.m. And I would be driven now by, by one of the guys who worked at the yard, at the stables yard where I was. I didn't have my own horse at this stage. I used to go there every single day during the summer holidays, seven days a week. He used to pick me up at 6 a.m. and I wouldn't get home until 7 p.m. when he would drop me home. And I worked as a nine-year-old child, nine, ten years old. I was cleaning out the stalls. I was feeding the horses. I was carrying, lifting huge bales of hay. Then they would put me on the stallions. They would say, Katie, you're so gutsy. You could get up on this ginormous stallion and take him down to the river for a walk. And I'd be like, great. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for recognizing that I love what I do. (laughs) But it was that, like the hard work and the hard slog and the dedication that I had to working. And actually, it was only since you said that as well that I remembered how much of an effect that must have had on me to work so hard and then to have that connection with the animals and then to be seen for that connection and the joy that I felt with that. And I'm sure for you as well, when you could be calm around the horses and around the children and the joy that you feel from just putting in the work and connecting with ourselves and showing up in the best way that we possibly can.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's something really nice about, for me, if you work with animals, there's a really clear understanding that if I don't feed these chickens every day, mm-hmm. they will start to get unhealthy. Not because the chickens it's it because they thrive on a rhythm. The animals want to know, okay, before it gets dark, you're going to feed them. You're going to give them water. You're going to close up their coop. And they, if you don't, if you're not there, then they're like, oh, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And so they thrive on that rhythm and they thrive on you. Like they can't take care of themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't close the, the coop against the raccoons or something or animals. And the same is true, I think. Sometimes when we're working in a classroom or whatever it is, the horses are the same way. And so there's this element of the responsibility that we have to the families that we're working with, to those children, to say, "Hey, we're gonna. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make sure that my my program environment's safe and that it's got yeah. the, all the things we need, and we're gonna be ready to go." And you don't, like you said, you're a one. One one person show, but but if you had staff, you would be making sure that they were on board and everything. And and you get it. Like with wilderness survival, it's the same thing. If I say, hey, we need to put up this tarp because it's going to rain in an hour, it's not because I'm yelling at them to do it because I said so, but it's but we want to be dry. So we're all going to work together because we have to. We have to get firewood because we have yeah. to, because we want to fire. And if they don't want to fire, then I'm like, all right, I don't mind. I'll sit in the dark if you want. It's okay. But the idea is that they're contributing because they choose to or because we recognize, hey, we want to take care of those animals or Mm. we're working. And that, yeah, there's something about that that's really important.
1: Yeah, we're a community and um, we need to work as a community, even if we don't agree with each other, or even if we don't like each other half the time. We're we're all here for a common reason. I'm sure that people in your programs didn't always get along, but their team, no. <laughs> and it's the uh, we don't really have that problem so much in it with my kids. But they and I do the same thing for my indoor classes. I don't do much work at them. They clean up their own instruments when it's tidy up time. The parents don't have to do anything. I don't do anything. They hear that song go, and they're like, "This is it. It's time to tidy up." and I really stress that we are all a team here. So we're all going to contribute in our own way. And the value that they feel from that, that they are contributing to helping the class to run smoothly is invaluable. And these are one-year-olds or two-year-olds. Now I don't do it with the outdoor sessions because there is just too much. And it's crazy and it's everywhere. And I have my system that I know what I want to go where because it is a big, kind of setup so I'll just explain what it is because it's not typical forest school so it would be I'm not sure if you've heard of Anji play in China they're very into sort of using ladders using planks using tubes and tunnels and allowing the children free reign with these things I would have a large loose parts area with Mm -hmm. big floorboards guttering things like this crates that they can use and the ideas that they come up with are really fascinating. So there would be that area. And then there would also be the construction area where we would have the toy diggers and the construction vehicles and things. And there would be mud and sand and they can really act out their imaginations there too. And then we... I, us- I gen- generally have a process art area too. So they can be creative outside. And then I have the mud kitchen, which I call the hub. As it is in most homes, it's the center. It's where everybody congregates, everybody gathers. And it's just where the children, they just zone out. They go into their own little worlds. And right. the parents are all standing around in a circle around the kitchen because it's in the center. And it's not actually a mud kitchen. It's two tables that I put right. out and there's some pots and pans <laughs> on them, and some spoons. And then I, I decorate it with flowers and leaves and make it look pretty, but that's all it is. It's n- there's nothing elaborate. And then I have an old microwave oven that I got at the recycling center too, that actually makes a dinging sound and yeah. the children will be putting their mud cakes in making it ding for just for the whole session over and over. And then we also have the big jugs with the taps on them. Yeah. And so they they'll get their own water for their soups or for their stews. But the parents are all gathered around as well, chatting, getting to know each other. Right. And so it's really the hub of, of the sessions. And okay. then I will probably have five or six invitations to play around as well. So this could be a small world environment where it will be like the farm and they're playing with the farm animals, or it could be a water play area where they can manipulate the water and um, send boats down gutters or whatever so it's a really playful environment but it's a big setup and it takes probably it t- probably takes about an hour and a half to get it set up in the morning and then it would take an hour and a half probably to clear afterwards and then there would be the washing and then the the reorganization as well so it probably takes about a day per session of work
0: oh, yeah yeah, that's a lot, but it. it yeah. But then you have the benefit of seeing the impact that it has. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: really wonderful, and the children love it. They're always wondering what's going to be there when we come in. But. The structure of it is always the exact same. They know where the art area is. They know where the kitchen is. And it's that security that we talked about, that safety. They know what to expect. So there aren't going to be any surprises today, only good surprises. Oh, wow, there's a space area today. I love space. And I'll also always be listening to little conversations that they're having. And I'll be like, oh, this kid said that he really likes the story of the Gruffalo. I don't know if you know the Gruffalo, but I'm like, oh, we're gonna do the Gruffalo next week, and he's gonna be blown away. So it's really nice to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's really, it's really well thought out, and it sounds like you have it like just, a just you have just enough that you can give them that stimulation and let them do their thing. That's really wonderful.
1: Depending to their imaginations as well. They're at this point in their life where their imagination has just got going- blowing up. They don't know that these diggers are not real diggers. Yeah. They think that they are. You know, on the construction site, I have hard hats for them and little high vis vests, yeah. and I have these fake blocks and they're using I have like the sand smoother yeah. and they're like smoothing out the sand on the blocks like they are construction workers. Yeah. It's fascinating and I want them to have this experience. I want them to believe that they are farmers and they're going to look after the cows and put them into the milking shed. It's <laughs> It's fascinating.
0: That's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it seems like this is like something that hopefully we can begin like duplicating this and helping helping more children get this or helping teachers understand how it is. But you're really piloting something and seeing what's what is it that works in your area and for your parents for those children. And yeah, that's I I feel like we're pioneering the next phase of evolution and education for early childhood, it seems.
1: I hope so. I really do, because I feel like we were there and then standards took over and we went backwards. And it's funny because I learned all of this when I was in China, which is notorious, apparently, for a high study environment, very structured, very top down teaching. But this is where I learned it all. And then I came back to Ireland and I started working in the early years and Two places that I worked at, they didn't have an outdoor time right. during their day. They said, no, we don't go outside. We don't have time for that. And I was gobsmacked. Yeah, I was shocked. The only reasons why we didn't go outside when I was in China was because of the air quality. Sometimes the smog is a bit heavy and it can be dangerous and hazardous for their lungs. But like we we were outside as much as we could. And right. um, so I was gobsmacked. I said, in a country like this, with so much we might even get the four seasons in one day there's just so much to see and that's the beauty and the peril of island living we do the weather is rough the weather yeah. is rough on us we have a lot of wind a lot of rain but i do not cancel my sessions unless there is a warning like we have these red alerts or yellow alerts so if we're not on an alert we go ahead dress up bring an umbrella. And come prepared because we're it's going ahead because children need to learn that we can be outside in all weather that's and right. still have a great time.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting when you mention like China because that's something that I've I've always been interested in. Like thinking as I started my podcast to go, hey, it'd be interesting to hear from people who are educating children outside. What is the state of outdoor learning in China? What's the state? What is that in Japan or? Korea or whatever. I have an interview with someone from the Philippines who does a forest school there this week, and I'm so excited because I just love learning for, about how other cultures do it and even Ireland, because even though we're similar in a lot of ways, Ireland is different. I, I know my wife goes there and leads sacred journeys, and she she'll often just talk about the culture and how the people are. There's just a unique flavor that you have in a way that you see the world. And it's, and it's so beautiful. I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't get kids outside there to get at least a taste of that.
1: Yeah, I know. I think just as I said, the standards took over, the milestones, the pressure, the stress. They were teaching children that were two years old phonics sitting in a circle, repeating phonics over and over. And it's not something that yeah. whatever is going into their heads right now, it's coming straight back out 10 seconds later, You're wasting your time and you're wasting their time. Mm. They would be much better off outside picking leaves off a bush or looking for ladybugs and it's just I just really want to just try and share the message so much and I do I think we are changing back into the other direction putting focus back on outdoor education I really hope so but even still I think for the birth to two three years old I didn't want them to be left out and I always felt that there was great programs for the older children but this little cohort of kids that I can connect with on such an amazing level, I wanted something for them too. And this is where I get to be my inner child and they get to show up with joy yeah. every week.
0: Yeah, that's great. You're really, in a lot of ways, you're doing things that will make it easier for those children to be in those other programs down the road. And they're, you're giving them a, a, an extra head start in that direction. So I could really uh, see that. Really dovetailing in terms of okay, we're going to pass the baton to the next teacher and the next group yeah. to see what happens, and and it's sad to me that like schools will say oh we're we want to be data driven we want to have all the statistics we want to use all these methods, but then they miss out on the fact that children at that age they don't have the brain development like it's a it's just clearly the research is showing that. Doing those kinds of phonics thing is a waste of time. It's just not necessary or really valid at that stage of their brain development. So, no, there's
1: no reason for it. Like, they literally, if you can teach them calendar time or numbers to 20 or doing their phonics, it will take them the same amount. Like, it will take them until they're seven years old to, right. to get it. Right. You know, now, I'm generalizing. Of course, kids get it earlier, kids will get it later. But if you teach them when they're seven, they're going to pick it up so quickly right because they're right. ready
0: exactly exactly. their
1: brain is ready and it's just it's like flogging a dead horse doing it when they're two and then teachers get frustrated because they're like, why aren't you getting it? Why do we have to keep doing this? It's not their
0: fault yeah yeah <laughs> exactly And that's the thing that I say is that if you don't get the experiences that you're giving them at that age, it, sadly, you don't get another chance when they're 13 oh. to give them those mud pies and yeah. all the stuff. So you're really, you're actually taking away from them of their opportunity to grow at what they're, cause it's, that's all sensory play. And like you said, it's all very dynamic between peer to peer and everything. And when you take that away, it's, you're really not gaining anything by starting. Why not start calculus at, at, two years old, if you're going to do it, but you're not gaining anything because you learn calculus when you're 18 and not at that age. Or, so, yeah. yeah. So that's the piece that I'm really hoping that people will be able to take away at some point is to just say, oh yeah, what are we losing by not doing what you're talking about? Like when we. Exactly. When we those- and it's.
1: I think the data is great. And I think all the research that has come out in the last couple of decades is fantastic we know more about children now than we have ever done but the yeah. unfortunate thing is that a lot of schools and parents and people that work with children are taking this research and generalizing with it and forgetting not forgetting but it's i suppose it's being led to us in a way that this is proven but we're forgetting that children are it's so different they are so different from each other even siblings they will be so different from each other. And just because the research might say this, it doesn't mean that this is going to be the same for this group of children or for this group of children in another culture. Like we need to think about children again as global citizens, especially at this stage before society has influenced them. They're in their most primal stage when they're infants. So to think that we can potentially shape their future or their outcomes by performing these things or by instilling calculus in them is it's absurd because they're going to be who they're going to be regardless.
0: Yes, yeah, I remember talking to a parent. This is twenty years ago, and there was a parent that was telling me like my my son knows all the planets, <laughs> and the child was like three or something, right? And I was like, they don't even know what a planet is, so they're just memorized those names. And then they're telling you, and they don't have any idea what, you know what I mean? They don't know a planet from a electron, from a piece of granite. Like they just don't know anything about what it, they can't conceive of it, but they are, they're saying this fun, this nice word. And I could see the parent like thinking about it. And he was like, huh? He goes, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> and, and I just go, why would you want them to learn about a planet? Like they should be out there like grabbing leaves and doing things like don't try to over intellectualize them when they're that's not it. Right, right
1: yeah now i have met three-year-olds and two-year-olds and four-year-olds that know a lot more than i do about many subjects yes. and i can learn so much from them but that's it when you what you said there don't over intellectualize it don't turn it into something that it doesn't need to be yet right let it be they're interested in planets cool go stargazing you can talk about constellations or point out what's the brightest one just keeping it simple like not to push it so much on the onto them because as well when they're two or three or four years old they're interested in planets today they're interested in monster trucks tomorrow
0: right (laughs) right
1: their interests yeah. change so rapidly because everything is so new to them. They're like, wow, this is amazing. Oh, wait a second. I don't want that anymore. This looks so cool. So
0: yeah, it's, it's um, true, isn't it? Yeah, sometimes I, I remember children would say, oh, this is my favorite animal. It's a wolf. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, okay. And then next time it's, I love eagles. And you're just like, okay, great. Like they're just, they're going to jump around and keep. they're just going to keep trying things. And all we got to do is just let them be in that magical place because exactly. we know that taking away from that, isn't really helping them, right? We want to give them that chance to explore that in a passionate way, and yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I, everything changed for me when I realized that even children up to their teenage years and older, like, still live primarily in a uh, predominantly a, a mythical world in a way. So they're still seeing things mythically, rather than like in black and white, the way we see it as adults. So for them, a stick is not a stick, but it's a wand or a sword or a a sorcerer's staff or whatever. As they get older, it diminishes a little bit, but they still do it. And it's okay to communicate to them in that language and just embrace that and not be in a hurry to to wipe it away. Cause yeah, I don't know. It's, It's nice to live in a world that's a little bit magical. So you can have a sense of hope for
1: the future yeah i read in a book actually just when you were talking about the planets i read in a book recently it was a children's book and the child was asking what's a black hole and the dad was putting them to bed and he he was getting so fed up and he was like it's the mouths of hungry dinosaurs and like (laughs) it's just funny because it could be anything so you don't have to get involved in this whole scientific technical technological thing like tap into your own creativity, make it anything. They're not going to read too much into it. They're not going to come back when they're 30 and say, why did you tell me black holes were the mouths of hungry dinosaurs? <laughs> right. You know, it's just, have fun, get childlike and get into their world it's because true. it's really magical in there.
0: It really is. It really is. I remember one of my friends, his son, when he was very young, was going to a play group or something and he realized after about two weeks, he realized that the woman running the play group was like very Christian, so was very religious. And he wasn't religious. So he was like freaked out. So he was like, Oh no, what is happening? My kid is with someone that's going to be teaching him all these things. And he said that he was driving home after picking his son up. And and so he was talking about something and he mentioned Jesus. And my friend had never really talked about Jesus, so he said, "Hey, Corey." He goes, "Who was Jesus?" And without missing a beat, Corey said, "Jesus was an early Disney character." <laughs> like that—that that was his answer. And he was like, "Okay, I think we're going to be okay." We're going to be words, fine. <laughs> in other words, that was the context, and he's just like, "Oh, okay." He's not, he doesn't have the context that I feel like when I hear like religious stuff, which you know. I think he ended up just staying in the play group anyway, because he was having so much fun, but it was funny how the, the fear and then the interpretation of what, of what that is, or I remember being at a after school program and I don't know, somebody did something. One of the kids grabbed a pair of scissors and cut some leather up that I didn't want to happen. And I got really yeah. upset because I was like, don't touch my scissors and my leather. Yeah. I was just like, what are you guys doing? And I remember just, I felt like I lost it a little bit for 30 seconds. And and the whole ride home, I, w- I was driving home and I was like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I can't believe I yelled at those guys. I didn't scream at them, but I was just like, oh, I was so annoyed. And I was then yeah. upset at myself. And then the next time I came in, I was like, I'm going to apologize to them. And I'm going to tell them I'm sorry. And I was wrong. And I got there and I'm standing in the cafeteria and for 15 minutes, one of the school leaders was just yelling at them and be like, you're going to be nice to Mr. Sierra and you're going to be respectful. And if you're not like, they just went on and on and the kids were just sitting there. Okay. All right. And then at the end, that person went now be good and have a good day. And then they were like, here you go. They're all yours. And I was like, oh no. And then (laughs) I said, how are you guys doing? And they went, we're fine. And then I said, does that bother you that you guys got yelled at so badly? And they go, We get yelled at about five times a day. So they're like, we don't really mind. We just let them get all upset and then we just go move on. And I was like, okay, I think they're going to be okay.
1: Yeah. And it was probably eating you up all week as well about it. Oh my God.
0: Oh my God. I felt so much guilt about it. I was like, oh God, I'm a terrible person.
1: No, Um, they'd probably forgotten about it straight away.
0: (laughs) Oh, immediately. Yeah. And I was just laughing and I, and I told them, I said, hey guys, I did yell at you guys. It was my fault. I shouldn't have left the scissors there because... I should know better than to trust that you guys are listening to me. <laughs> and Anyway, we had a good time. Anyway, this has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about all these things. I'm so glad you're doing this work. It's Thank so you. needed. I, I love it. I love just thinking about you out there doing it. I just have this picture of like beautiful green fields and sheep and little cottages. And, and you just having a great time there with the you know dramatic skies and big clouds and sunshine and rain or whatever and i'm just super happy so hopefully that, we hopefully do. we have a, a fantastic time yeah I, I i'm i'm sure you do it it looks really great i really appreciate your time so thank you so much for sharing all of this and so transparently as well it's just been a thank pleasure. you ricardo yeah all right tell us how to get a hold of you
1: my website is www.twinklekids.ie there's probably not much for You know, anyone outside of Ireland, of course, but I do have some blog posts that I've written. So if anyone is interested, maybe you want to check out the blog post. There's some pictures up there as well that you can look at. But the best place is probably Instagram. Fortunately, I I always say if I didn't have a business, I wouldn't have an Instagram. Uh, But I try and put as much into it as I can while still keeping my sanity. So that's Twinkle Kids Ireland is my Instagram handle. And there's photos and testimonials and my ramblings are all on there as well so check that out
0: and and if you if anybody is listening to this you got to see the little video of your little monkey puppet that was, that makes me so happy. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love this so much.
1: I'm actually doing a training this weekend and Uhu oh, so is going to cool. come with me. Yeah, storytelling yeah. training because I have a huge interest in storytelling. So yeah, he's going to be making his big debut. But I do think he's going to be kept as a house puppet. My six-year-old has gotten really attached to him mm-hmm. and she will speak to him in ways that she never speaks to me. So I think he's going to be our little house mascot.
0: Uh, yeah, you're going have to have to find some that can... i have to get home. another one. Yeah, yeah. Now you have an excuse. Yeah, that's great. Thank you again so much. This has been a pleasure. Thanks,
1: Ricardo. Cheers. It's lovely talking
0: to you. Yep. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes